I want to draw our attention back to Jonah. And we're going to be looking at chapter 2. And as I did last week, I've got a couple of books I just want to toss out. Most of my thoughts have been circled around the book of Jonah and my commentaries, which are not anything that I want to throw out to you unless you folks are in need of sleep. Um, But Man Overboard by Sinclair Ferguson, and then this one here, Tim Keller, it's a small book called The Prodigal Prophet. Probably two of the best books I've read on this particular topic in a long time. I think that they would be a good read. Uh, They're not all that difficult to get through, but if you want to go a little bit deeper with the book of Jonah beyond just our regular Sunday, I would recommend those to you. And before we get into the text of Scripture, I just wanted to read this. This is what Keller talks about, about the predicament that we're going to find Jonah in today. He says this, it was, if Jonah was to begin finally to ascend, both in the water and in faith, he had to be brought to the very end of himself. The way, wa- the way up was, first of all, down. The usual place to learn the greatest secrets of God's grace is at the bottom. If we were but a bit smarter and a little bit more humble, we probably wouldn't have to hit the bottom before we got to go back up to the top. But as it is, would you all please stand? We're going to get into Jonah. I'm going to read the entire chapter um, as soon as I get away from the Psalms. Uh, that? Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away. I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And that, too, is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Father, as we come before you this morning, I just ask that you would open up this word to us. You would settle our hearts before you. You would show us who you are in the midst of this story. You would show us Jesus, our Savior, in the midst of this. And as importantly, if probably not most importantly, you would show us ourselves in light of who Jesus is in the midst of this story. I want to lift up all of those folks who are struggling right now here, even this morning, and for those who perhaps are going into into a hospital for surgeries and for doctor's appointments and all of those things that are supposed to happen, Lord, in the coming weeks. I pray that your hands would be upon them, would be upon the doctors and the nurses that are involved in any procedures and in any concerns. Lord, we lift all of those things up to you. You know what they are. We don't need to know, but you know. And I pray that your grace, your mercy, your peace, and your healing would be upon those folks. Thank you, Lord, for those who once again serve in our military 
who allow us to do the things that we do here in freedom and in comfort and in peace. Pray that you would bless them, most especially this day, for those moms who perhaps find themselves far away from their kids today. Pray that you would give them an extra blessing and that your hand would be upon them. Lord, we give you thanks for your word, for calling us your own. Thank you for the songs that we've been able to sing this morning that have uh, moved and touched our heart, and, and we are before you now. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Jonah is finding himself in a pretty bad way today. We left him last week um, thinking he was going to end the whole game because the Lord wasn't going to let him go to Tarshish, not realizing that, you know, Uber has submarines and waiting on the side of the boat was a taxi cab to bring him back where he needed to be. Um, and they sang a song this morning, Whatever It Takes, right? We, we, we sang through that. I'll get to my notes. Um, I got a little bit of time here. But Whatever It Takes was the song. And I'm just listening to those verses and those words, and I'm thinking, I wonder if that's what Jonah was saying as he was thinking, pitch me over the side of the boat, all things will end well. Whatever it takes, Lord, I'll follow you. Whatever it takes, I'll go where you want me to go. Whatever it takes, Lord until he was confined in a room that was probably just a bit bigger than he was for a time. I'm not so sure he was at that point singing, whatever it takes, Lord. I think he was thinking through uh, the foolishness of thinking, Tarshish is a good place to go. Probably not. So here he is. He's in the belly of a big fish. We find him today making the statement that most of us make in our stubbornness and in our pride. You have my attention Lord. Now, maybe you have never gotten to that point where you've done so many foolish things in your life that you're now backed up against the wall trying to figure out your way out, and you really don't have a way around the Lord getting a hold of you, and you have to actually take a breath and go, you have my attention, Lord. What is it you want? I guarantee you, if you find yourself in that position, he's going to tell you the exact same thing he wants from you that he's always wanted from you. You've just been too foolish to listen all along and have put yourself in a position where now there's no way to go but up. And what I want us really to look at as we unfold chapter 2 this morning is, is that our goal needs to be in life to never hit rock bottom, to never hit rock bottom in our relationship with the Lord. But we do. So the goal is I want to encourage you to not do that, to figure out ways in which you can listen to the Lord before you have no other option. We don't want to hit rock bottom because for the, prob the problem is, is for most of us, we do hit rock bottom because there's no other place on planet Earth where we finally recognize our deep need to repent and our need for our Savior and our need to hear what he has to say to us as his people. He knows what's best for us. If he's asking us to do something... It's probably the best thing for us to do, even if it makes us uncomfortable. And I've shared this before with some of you, most of you probably, so bear with me. Just don't start snoring because that distracts me. Um, you can sleep if you must, but don't snore. Just bear with me. Um, <laughs> it ain't about the fish, all right? We all know it's not about the fish, and we'll get to that in a minute because that's true, but it's not about the fish. It's about that moment of my life where I finally came to the end of it all, and I was in absolute rebellion. And there have been more times than I care to admit than I have been in rebellion against the Lord. Um, perhaps you've been in that same spot as well, and there's been far more than I care to admit, but there you have it. 
And there I was, and I wasn't in a good way, as many of you know, finding myself in a machine shop, not having any idea what to do. Why was I there? Well, I was there from a worldly perspective because I lost this job because I was laid off, and I needed that job because, you know, I have a wife and a kid, kids, plural, and they need to eat. But from a spiritual perspective, I was there because I didn't get what I thought I ought to get. See, I had my, my plan all mapped out. I knew what it was I wanted. I knew what I needed. Ministry wasn't happening for me. After all of my, quotes, years of faithfulness and doing all the things I was supposed to do, I didn't get what I thought I was supposed to, thinking that I was ready to take off down that road of being a pastor and all of that stuff. And, you know, that type of attitude, frankly, is very dangerous, really. Because that attitude alone and my rebellion in the midst of that is a very clear indicator that no, in fact, I wasn't ready. My attitude should have been an indicator that I wasn't ready. I was just a little bit too full of myself thinking that I had all the answers. Now, I'm still trying to sort out whether that's an age thing or whether that's a me thing. I'm hoping it's an age thing and everybody in their 20-somethings has answers for everything. And that the older you get, the dumber you realize you actually are. And, and that'll make me feel better, but I just haven't figured that one out yet. We'll work on that. We have to be careful when we walk down roads like that because when we operate that way, when I operate that way, guess what? The fall is always farther, and it's always far harder than we think it's going to be when the Lord finally gets a hold of us. And I found myself making that very statement, okay, Lord, you have my attention. Why? Because I'm at the bottom. I've got nowhere else to go. I can't figure this out for myself. You see, it was in that place of rebellion against the Lord where I had nowhere else to turn when I had nothing else to turn to except back to the one who I should have never disobeyed in the first place. It is in that place of rebellion for each and every one of you sitting here today where your repentance needs to start. Repentance starts nowhere else but in your place of rebellion. God will not let you move forward until you identify that I am rebellious here. And then he will begin to work on moving you forward. And Jonah's going to figure that out because that's where we find Jonah. Albeit in a far worse place than me, I don't think I would want to have myself in a non-air-conditioned, non-windowed stateroom in the middle of whatever it is he's swimming around the ocean in. And I pray that none of us ever find ourselves in a position like that where we allow it to get so bad that the Lord has to corner us in the way that he did Jonah. And we pick up our story where we left off with Jonah in the belly of a big fish. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Really? That's a good place to start. I'm thinking, you got nothing else to do. We find ourselves in a closed-off situation like this. That's the place we need to start. Finally admit that we've done something that we shouldn't have. And I want us to notice what begins to unfold here as we unpack chapter 2. Because this, this chapter is full of so many things that I don't, I'm not going to cover them all, but I want to pull out some of the essential ones. He says in verse 2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. You heard my voice. In Jonah's pain and in Jonah's helplessness, we find him praying and doing so by echoing the Psalms. If you let this chapter unfold for you, he's echoing the Psalms. Now, he's quoting different Psalms. He's not quoting full Psalms, so we have to dig these things out and find what they are. 
But chapter 2 actually is a full-on psalm of lament being written by this prophet when he's got nothing else to do and nowhere else to go. Recalling in his mind God's word that he learned in the Psalms as a prophet. And it's important for us because if we take the time to track all of these things down, we find Jonah recalling God and his word in his time of need, which is so important for all of us to understand. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, Psalm 18.3 says, and I am saved from my enemies. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Verse 6 of Psalm 18. Those are beautiful things that we find themselves even in the first verse here, in the second verse of chapter 2 of Jonah, that begin to unfold as this prophet's got nothing else to do but talk to his maker. And it's a deep lesson for us that we can learn here from this prophetic book as we unpack this chapter is this, to have the word of God so embedded in you that even in your worst moments in life, what is embedded within you gets squeezed out of you. And that's what comes out. In your worst moments, that God's word is so stored up in your heart that that is what you respond with. Under pressure, under pressure, what comes out of you on your day-to-day walk? And don't get all panicked. I asked myself the same question and wasn't sure I cared for the answer. But it's a question that we all need to ask. What comes out of us when we are under pressure on a day-to-day basis? Is it the word of God and and a prayerfulness to him to help us in our struggle? Or is it how everybody else responds? I leave that with you to wrestle with. It's an important piece that we see here that Jonah is learning uh, as he's stuck in the belly of this fish. And and as we tackle chapter 2, let's not argue about the fish. I've said this all along. It ain't about the fish. And the reason why I keep saying it ain't about the fish is because it ain't about the fish. But we tend to miss that. Because what happens is, is every Bible study that starts with this and every church service that starts with this becomes the argument of, is it real? Is it not real? Is it a metaphor? Is it just a poem? Is he painting a picture for us? Is it this? Is it that? Is it actually a whale? Is it the mystical Leviathan and all this? We, we learn these things in school. We spend weeks and weeks during our Old Testament studies classes wrestling over silliness, frankly. And again, a good many home groups and church services take down unproductive rabbit holes and we lose sight of actually what is going on here if you want to spend time debating and arguing over whether this was a fish big enough to swallow a dude go ahead i just don't have the time for that because i'm not that bright and it really ultimately doesn't make a lot of difference because it misses the primary point of the chapter It misses the primary point of the chapter. And it ends up being totally unproductive. And ultimately, guess what it does? It divides people over non-salvific issues. In other words, whether Jonah was in the belly of a big fish or he wasn't, isn't going to keep me from getting into heaven. And yet we argue over that. So be careful not to take off down those roads. It's nothing wrong with talking about that. You want to do that over coffee? That's great. But what we're going to go with here, because I'm not a smart man... We're going to go with what the Bible tells us. We have what? A great fish. So let's just go with that. My heart of faith tells me a great fish. Obviously big enough to carry around a Jewish prophet for a little while. It's what I got. Moving on. 
Ferguson in his book had a couple of things to say in this book, Man Overboard. And I believe it'll be good for us to just settle on these things. The first thing he says is this. The most important is, of course, that too much discussion about the great fish can divert us from the real issue. The narrative is not really about the fish at all. It only has a walk-on part, and I really would rather change that to it really has a swim-on part, but it's not my book, it's his, he can say what he wants. In this gripping drama, focus on the great fish, and we may lose sight of the great God. And we don't want to do that, because there's some good things that are going on here. Because God is doing something in the heart of this very stubborn man that we have to get our hands around. Jonah would not do what he was called to do. Now, I know nobody here, myself included, ever has that issue. Just ask our wives. But he was a very stubborn man who refused to do what he was called to do. So God needed to show Jonah the whys of his rebellion. Not as in wise as in smart, but the whys as in why are you so stupid you ended up in a fish. The whys of his rebellion. And ultimately, guess what it is? It's his heart. It's his heart. Ferguson, again in his book, says this, but the deeper work of God took place not in the belly of the fish, but in the heart of the prophet. The fish just happened to be the vehicle to get the prophet where he needed to be. Wherever you want me to go, oh Lord. Careful when you ask that. See, because the reality is is that we can lose the deep sight or we can lose sight of the deep work that God is trying to accomplish in us because we are so focused on what is happening to us. We can lose sight of the deep work that God is trying to accomplish in us because we are so focused on what is happening to us. And we miss the boat. Too often we get frustrated before we ought to with circumstances, with situations, not really realizing at all that what God is trying to do is that he is at work within us, conforming us to the likeness of his son and making us into who he's designed us to be and who he's wired us to be in this world. And sadly, far too often we fight against that because we think we know better than he does. First headline you pick out of the newspaper ought to tell you very clearly, no, we don't. We really don't. You see, we don't like the pain. We don't like the uneasiness that God working within us causes us. We don't like having to look in the mirror and say, I am the biggest problem I'm going to face today. The choices I make. I have to deal with the consequences and they might not be the best because I don't really like what God is telling me to do. We don't, we don't like the dying to ourselves. The struggles that we have to go through to really understand what God is trying to do in our lives. And frankly, and most importantly, the confession that we have to bring before the Lord that Keller is so great at talking about that we are actually far more sinful than we care to admit and yet at the same time, we are far more deeply loved than we could ever imagine or realize. All at the same time. And that ought to drive us to have a repentant heart and a humble heart before the Lord and say, I don't know all the answers, Lord, 
But if you're telling me to go that way, I'm going to hang on and I'm going to go that way. For you cast me into the deep. You see, Jonah here recognizes now that even though the sailors may have tossed him overboard, at his request, of course, not because he's being the hero, but because he don't want to go to Nineveh. So let's not forget that. He's going to have on a roller coaster ride of being right and being wrong. In other words, just being a guy, which is okay. We can be patient with that. It was really the sovereign hand of God at work, and I think that that's important for us really to remember. Again, verse 3 of chapter 2, for you cast me where? Into the deep. Who's he talking to? The sailors? No. He's talking to the Lord. Into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Saying that this morning, didn't we? Chapter 1 in verse 15 says this, They picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. But we have to remember that what's going on here is that through men, the sovereign hand of God is working in order to get Jonah where he needs to be. You see, sometimes we need to remember this, that God has us in the midst of struggles that we are going through in our life, in the midst of pain that we are trying to figure out how to deal with, and what we think are unanswered prayers of deliverance when we continue to bring them before the Lord. Sometimes he has us there because he puts us right there because he wants us there. Why? Because we have something to learn in the midst of what we are struggling with in life. And if we would just take a breath and say, okay, Lord, perhaps your answer is listen to me and learn what I'm trying to show you in whatever your struggle is. It was God's hand that put him in the water. It was God's sovereign will to take care of him. And so it is, here he is in the heart of the sea. The one place that every Hebrew person dislikes. Why? Because they saw the sea and all that was in the sea as chaotic, as disorder. It was a picture of everything that was wrong, every fearful thing, an unease and a lack of control within the sea that actually brought about death. The last place you want to be is pitched overboard in the boat. And very purposefully, we sang that hymn this morning because I was reminded as I was studying of Horatio Spafford and the tragedy that he faced in the midst of writing that. When he sent his wife and his daughters on ahead of him to London to hear D.L. Moody speak and somewhere in the North Atlantic, that ship went down. And he got the telegraph from his wife. I've told this story before, but he got the telegraph from his wife that simply said, I alone survived. What do I do next? And on his trip over there, the captain stopped at the place of the shipwreck in order that Horatio Spafford could put over the side a wreath in in remembrance of his three daughters that he lost in the North Atlantic. And as he was looking over the side of that boat and in his pain and in his confusion and all of those things, he noticed the sea, the billows and the rolls and the waves and the chaos and all of that stuff. And that didn't cause him concern. It caused him to go down to his stateroom. And it caused him to write that song that we sang this morning, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You see, in the midst of pain, he understood. I call out to you, O Lord. I call out to you. What else is there for Jonah to do at this moment in time? Where's he going to go? He's got one of two directions in the belly of a big fish. Out the front 
out the back. Where else is he going to go? I cry out to you, O Lord, in the dark, in the smelly, in the pretty rough ride conditions and all of the nastiness that goes on inside. You have my attention, Lord. You have my attention. Help me. Help me with this heart of rebellion. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I've been disobedient. I get that. And it's pretty apparent to me that I'm not going to get away from you. I cannot outrun the call that you have placed upon my life. And even more importantly, Jonah realizes, and we ought to take this to heart, that Jonah cannot outrun the grace of God. Because for all intents and purposes, this dude ought to be dead. He ought to be dead. He has done nothing he has been told to do. So make no mistake when we read this, as rough as it is for Jonah here, Jonah is under the loving care and the grace of his Father in heaven. The hand of grace is upon him. You see, Ferguson, again in his book, Man Overboard, clearly puts it this way. Restoration to fellowship with God must begin in the very areas where rebellion formerly existed. That's what I realized. That is what repentance basically involves. We have to start in our place of rebellion, in our repentance. Otherwise, we're avoiding the problem and we're making excuses. And this now becomes the cry of the prophet Jonah in the belly of the fish. Here in chapter 2, in verses 4 through 6, he says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds are wrapped around me. That's a great description, isn't it? In the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. I'm separated from you. You ever feel that way? This is exactly what his rebellion brought about. And he's getting a sense that he is not where he should be with the Lord. And yet God, in that moment, within that sin works on him in order to restore him and to bring him back where he needs to be and moves him forward. Again, the prophet echoes the Psalms. This time, he, at the end of verse 6, where we see here where he says, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. He's echoing David in Psalm 40. His mind has to go there. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, and making my footsteps secure. My God is faithful. You see, David's painting a similar picture of God's rescue in the midst of whatever trouble or trial David found himself in. And I think it is good, once again, that we need to remind ourselves that to be in the word of God, even if it is just one small snippet in a given day, one verse that you can take to work with you, that you can chew on throughout the day, that five minutes in the morning is better than no minutes during the day. Chew on that one verse. It's essential for your growth and for your maturity. The number one thing that people tell me when they come to counsel, when I ask them, first off, 
How are your spiritual disciplines? Are you in the word? Nine out of 10 people that sit in my office look at me and go, I haven't opened it this week. I haven't opened it last week, but I can't hear from the Lord. You want to hear from the Lord, as I say, open your Bible and read it out loud. That's always the first place we fail, myself included, I confess to you. When I am struggling and in rebellion, the last thing I want to do is open this book. Why? Because it shows me me. And a lot of times I don't like that. But this is where Jonah goes in his distress, isn't it? He's reminded of God's word and his concerns. That's where he goes, into the Psalms, where we all ought to go when we're in trouble and when we're in distress. You see, Jesus does the same thing every single time. In the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, what does he do? You have heard it said. Then he does what? He quotes the scriptures. In his temptation in the desert, when Satan tries to get him to do all the things that Satan wants him to do, what does Jesus say? It is written. And then he quotes the scriptures. Whenever he's dealing with the religious people of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of the challenges that come his way, have you not read? And then he quotes the scriptures. What is the strongest person? What is the best way? What is the focus we ought to have in our struggles and in our challenges and in everything? Listen to me. Our spiritual growth is only as strong and as good as our devotion to studying and understanding God's word. Storing it up in our hearts that we may not sin against him, that we can recall it to mind in our time of struggle so that we can say, okay, Lord, I don't know what's going on right now, but your word tells me that I am in the palm of your hand, that I am under your shadow in your wing, that I am in your care, that you are lifting me up out of a miry pit and you are cleaning me up and you are setting me on firm ground. In our worst days, if we can recall the promises of God, even if our struggle doesn't stop, we are stronger in it than we would be if we didn't have God's word. On our driest days, the challenge that we have to face and the thing that we have to remember is that even if you are reading this book out of nothing more than simple obedience, God honors that. I've had to tell people that over and over again. Well, I just don't feel like it. I understand that, but you know it's right. So open that book. Even if you read two verses, be obedient and he will honor that. He will conform you if you are bold enough to come before him and say, I need you. I'm not hearing you. I don't know what you've got going on in my life, but I'm going to open this book up and I am going to say to you, I need you. And I'm going to stay here and I'm going to fill myself with what your word says, even if I don't feel it. Feelings are horrible things. They're horrible things. Store it up in your heart. Jonah did. And in his rebellion, it was there that he went. It was there that the prophet's mind took him. And it was there that God worked within the heart of this rebel child. In and through him remembering the promises and the faithfulness of God. Struggling with his life, ebbing away. And remembering the Lord, he is very repentant. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you. Into your holy temple, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Verses 7 and 8 say, this is a beautiful cry of repentance. 
So the NIV actually puts it this way with regards to that last part of verse 8 to those who look to idols, as it were. And I suspect, and I think I'm right, I suspect what Jonah is talking about here is the idol of self because that's what he's dealing with. My pride got me into this situation. The NIV actually puts it this way, that that those types of people forfeit the grace that could be theirs. In other words, God is promising to hold out his grace and because of our rebelliousness and our idolatry and wanting to be right ourselves, we forfeit that. But God still stands there and says, I just want to give you my heart and my grace. Sad, isn't it? God is simply looking to pour his grace out upon his people. And we continue, and this world continues to look everywhere but to him. Everywhere except to him. But you see, finally recognizing this, finally seeing what his situation is, because obviously he's got nowhere else to go. Jonah looks upward and Jonah looks outward instead of inward. But with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Why? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Ah, now we're getting somewhere. Lord's up there going, I knew he had it in him. Every single act of repentance must end there with the recognition that God and God alone can save us and fix us in our predicament. He didn't get there by himself. He didn't come to that on his own. It's been his pattern throughout this chapter, and it seems here again in chapter 2, Throughout this, he talks about the Psalms, and he's echoing another Psalm here, Psalm 50, verses 22 and 23, actually. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart, and there be none to deliver. You think Jonah was feeling that pain? I'm thinking. He's dinner for some big fish. Of course he's feeling that. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You see, he recognizes the most important thing that we all have to learn in our rebellion. Repentance. Repentance. I know that seems simple, but the problem is, is we struggle with repentance. And the occasional rebuke from God stands us back on our heels for a minute because we've been a little foolish. That salvation belongs to him alone. There's absolutely nothing we can do to earn it. You cannot work harder today to make God love you more tomorrow. There's nothing we can do to keep it. Because Paul tells us in Ephesians that we are kept where? In Christ. And if he conquered death itself, I'm not concerned. I'm not concerned. There's nothing we can do to merit God's favor. Because Jesus gives us that favor through his sacrifice. The only thing that God calls us to be is obedient. And that is seen through our sacrifice to do what he says. You see, the safest place any human being on this planet can be is guess where? Smack dab in the middle of the will of God. Even if that is in the middle of a battlefield with bullets flying a million miles an hour all around you, if that is where God wills you to be, 
that is the safest place to be. It is better to be there than at home safely on your couch outside of the will of God. And you see, for Jonah, it's Nineveh, and he didn't want to go there, and God's going to make sure he gets there. Obedience seen through our sacrificial lives and saying, Lord, I don't belong to myself. I belong to you. Where do you want me to go? Spurgeon wrote once in his morning and evening devotional, he said, what Jonah learned in the ocean, let me learn this morning in my room. In other words, I don't want to be in a fish. (laughs) I'm good right here in my study. Help me to be humble enough to where I don't need to be in a fish. It's not a good way to be. You see, freedom at this stage comes in the most undignified of ways for Jonah. The Bible's so beautiful, isn't it? And God barfed him up on the beach. They clean it up a little. I mean, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. I mean, any of you got a kid, mom, the projectile stuff happens. That's what I'm thinking. Launches this guy up onto the beach. You imagine sitting there in the sand, surf fishing on that morning or whatever it may be. And we could have some fun with this. I mean, I've been down on the beach. That's some surf fisherman trying to yank in a fish, and all of a sudden, whoop, and this guy goes flying through the air, bleached as white as snow, seaweed hanging all over him, lands in the sand, looks at the guy and goes, which way's Nineveh? That's what's happening here. I mean, we clean it up, but that, I mean, seriously, he vomited him up onto the beach. Whatever it was, puked him up. He's been in the belly for three days, looks bad, wants to know where Nineveh is, and off he goes. I wonder if that guy repented. What do I need to do? Because I know who you are, and it didn't work well for you. Anyway, it's true. See, Jonah drew from God's word in his darkest moment. That's so important for us. Jonah drew from God's word in his darkest moment when he had done all he could to get away from the presence of God. Jonah drew from his word, but God can never be gotten away from. Try as you might, try as I might. If God has his name upon you, forget it. You're done. Just give up. Be like C.S. Lewis. It was on that night that I got down on my hands and knees and as the most reluctant convert in all of England, I was dragged into the kingdom of God, kicking and screaming. You might as well just give it up. If God's got his hand upon you, just ask him what he needs you to do. If he's called you, if his spirit is upon you, he loves you far more than you could ever ask or ever imagine. Lord, what is it you have me to do? In your rebellion, he loves you more than you could imagine. Oh, boy. See, God's desire in Christ is to bring you home. That's ultimately it. I'm going to have the worship team come up now. I just want to leave you with these few thoughts. We can see in Jonah that that really is the desire that God our Father has, is to bring us home. Much like the prodigal son when the father sat on the porch looking to the horizon waiting for his kid. We don't know when that day is going to happen. You see, this prodigal prophet decides it's time to come home. Now, we've got a few more ups and downs with this fella, but for now, he's on the beach ready to do what he's told. So I wonder, 
where does God find you in these situations today? I leave you with these thoughts. I don't want these answers right now, but I want to ask you, are you mourning something? Are you struggling with something in your life that you know you've got to give over to him? That he's pushing you just a little bit farther than you can go. And you don't really want to get there because you're not comfortable with it. You're dealing with a difficult issue, perhaps, that you're wrestling with that you just really don't know what to do with. Or a decision that you have to make. Or a challenge in your life that is just scaring you to step into. I tell you, that is a testing of your faith. Intellectually, we understand who God is, but our hearts always confuse us. We don't want to be there. He wants to grow your faith. And that takes obedience. You see, God is right there in the person of the Lord Jesus for each and every one of us. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for me to come to him and to say, Lord, help me in this. And this is the beautiful thing for me. It's clear in Jonah that you are never so far gone that you are too far gone for him to bring you home. I could have the prayer teams come. I give you this last verse to think about. This is what Isaiah the prophet records that the Lord tells him to record for us. For us. Seek the Lord while he may be found. This was our first reading. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. I wonder if perhaps you need that today. There's people in the back. There's people in the front. Let's stand. I want to encourage you as we just sing this last song. Wherever this finds you today, please don't leave. As I say every week, please do not leave before you get prayer. If you need prayer because you're struggling with something and you need encouragement, you need courage, you just need a couple of people to just come before the Lord with you on your behalf. Don't don't leave here without getting that. That's what we're here for. And if you don't know Jesus and you're here and you're trying to figure that one out, we got people in all corners of the church here. Don't leave without asking that question as well. They'll help you. Fathers, we sing this last song. Just turn our hearts and our minds back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.